I encourage you to open your Bibles to Psalm 23. It's one of the most beloved passages of Scripture. It's short and encouraging, very familiar. It's sweet to the soul. Sweet especially as you come to see the care and the comfort and the gracious consideration of the Lord our God in its lines. If you pray with me, Lord, we come to your word and I ask that you would humble us, that you would humble me, that you would humble us and as, as humble sheep, help us to remember the truths that you own us, that we belong to you. And without your vigilant, committed care for us, we who are prone to wander would be in dire straits. Thank you for the constant love and the faithfulness and the loyalty that you show to your people. Amen. Life has a way of leaving us bruised and battered and tired and weary and forlorn and hopeless and whether it's the fear of being alone, of being bereft of companionship, of support, of help in time of need. For these are things that touch all of us from one time or another and sometimes in waves and sometimes in cycles. Many of us know the bitter reality, the, the bitter sting of being betrayed by loved ones or friends. And for some, there is a very real threat of bodily harm from an enemy. There are many who have the very real fear of how they will provide for themselves, how they will take care of themselves or or those that they care for. And David knew what it was like to be in the valley of death's shadow, running from Saul, hiding hiding in caves, hiding, hiding in the wilderness, men always on the lookout for him, his own son trying to usurp the throne right out from underneath him. And there are times where peace and joy and happiness and security can become so scarce, or at least it feels like they are scarce, that our walk becomes dark and there's a great fear of being overwhelmed by it all. David knew these things, and he wrote this psalm to comfort you when you are there. He wrote Psalm 23 to comfort those who traverse the valley of death's shadows and who have enemies. Can anybody relate to the psalm? He wrote this psalm to describe the worldview of the one who believes and the one who trusts in the Lord in the midst of those realities. Whatever life throws at you, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, whatever fears, whatever anxieties, You may have, I encourage you, I exhort you, let yourself look to the truths in these psalms. In this psalm, let this psalm be your creed. Let it be what you live by. For in it we see several realities for the believer and how we are to respond, how we're to act because of those realities. Church, may it be true that what David says here concerning himself, let those things be true of us. May it be true 
that his exaltation, that the Lord God was his shepherd, let that likewise be my exhortation. Let that likewise be your exhortation. Let it be your profession. Let these truths be your truths. As you think about what David is going to say about who the Lord is and what the Lord has done for him, I pray that they would be true of you and, again, that they would become your creed, that what this says about Christ would be your anchor, especially as you meditate on the Lord's goodness and the Lord's faithfulness, because those are two things that do not waver. Think about the care that he gives you. Think about the attentive care and the provision that he has given you since the day that he bought you. Let it be said of Snoqualmie Valley Bible Church that they are a people who are led by Jesus, who trust in Jesus, and who relish and find their source of comfort and security in Christ and are satisfied in the precious precious care that he gives us. Now, so what... What are these truths? What are, what are these truths that are true for every single believer in Christ? Well, in verse 1 of Psalm 23, we're going to see that believers are purchased by God. And then in verses 2 to 3, we'll see that they are provided for by God. And then verses 4 to 5, that they are protected by God. Purchased, provided for, protected. Let's read the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we see first first truth that is true for you if you stand in Christ is that the shepherd purchases his flock. Christ has purchased you. David begins this psalm by stating that Yahweh, the Lord God, the Lord of heaven, is his shepherd. The great and mighty one, the God whose name means I am, which tells us that he is the unchanging one. He is the eternal one, the independent one, the one who transcends his own creation. This awesome and mighty God before whom even the mighty flaming seraphim, they shield their eyes. That one and same God has come down in condescension to become the shepherd of lowly David. Now, I trust we are familiar with the shepherd motif. It's, it's abundant in Scripture. In the New Testament, shepherds were present at Jesus' birth. Jesus says in John 10 that he is the good shepherd 
who lays down his life for the sheep. There's in Luke 15, the parable of the shepherd who goes after the one sheep, even though the 99 are still safely in the pen. In John 21, there's Jesus' emphatic instruction for Peter to feed his sheep. In the Old Testament, we see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, how they were keepers of sheep. They, were, they had many, a great many flocks. When Jacob appeared before Pharaoh with his sons, Joseph told him to inform Pharaoh that they were shepherds and keeper of sheep. What, was, what did Moses do for a living during his 40 years? He was a keeper of sheep. And in many cases, God's protection and provision for Israel during the, t- the time in the wilderness wanderings is likened to that of a shepherd's care. Psalm 103 says, Know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. David recognized his own need to be shepherded by God. And here's where the rub hits, in that our own desire for autonomy, for independence, that desire to go out and do things in our own strength and the way we want to do it, resists being shepherded with everything that it has. If I, the, the flesh says that if I must have someone rule over me, if it has to be that way, let him rule over me from afar, right? Just tell me what I have to do, tell me what I can and can't do, tell me what the rules are, and then leave me be. And that's what a king, that's what a king does. He governs from afar. Where, where does the king dwell? Does he dwell in the streets? Does he walk in the marketplace? No, he stays in his mighty palace, and he governs from there, and he makes rules and policies, and he enforces them through dignitaries, and he has armies to fight for him. And it's the people who live and serve the king, not the king for his people. But the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep is so very, very different. And David, having been both a shepherd and king, he realizes this and he says, it's not just enough that I have the law. It's not just enough that I know what I must do, what's expected of me. It's not enough that I have Torah. I need to have a relationship with the God of Torah. I need to know the God of the law because the law in itself is not enough. I need his help. I need his guiding, his presence. I need him near me to comfort me, to soothe me. And these are qualities that no one can find in their governmental ruler. This is no, these are not qualities that a subject could ever say was true of their king. And so it's because it's beneath his office. And it should be a little startling for us to think that the almighty eternal transcendent God has come down to shepherd little old me and little old you. Upon Calvary, the price was paid for every believer so that they would become the property of the Lord God Almighty. By the payment and ransom of the Son of God on the cross, the debt of my sin and your sin was wiped away and being placed upon Christ and his perfect righteousness was imputed to me. His utter sinlessness, his, his, his utter 
goodness and, and, and the fact that he stood perfectly before God was accredited to me, imputed to me and imputed to you. And, that, and what that means is something that we don't naturally possess, we get to enjoy the benefits of. God looks at us and says that we deserve the benefits that Christ naturally merited. All for the good favor and grace of God, he purchased us. In the same way that a sheep comes into the possession of a shepherd because he purchased it. I mean, you have to think about this. There are, there are horses in the wild that you can catch. There are dogs in the wild. Even, there are even wild cats. There's all sorts of animals that are, you can go out into the wild and capture and domesticate. But I've never seen a wild flock of sheep. I've never seen sheep in the wild, and that's because sheep cannot last in the wild. They are not equipped to survive. Does everyone know what the Darwin Awards are? The sheep would win the Darwin Award uncontested. They are, they are stupid creatures. They, are, they truly are. They are foolish, stubborn, timid creatures. They are prone to wander directly into harm's way. And they are utterly, completely defenseless. They are completely dependent on the shepherd, and they need assistance in every single aspect of life. They are completely dependent upon a source outside of themselves. They need uh, help finding safe places to eat and to drink. They they need help defending themselves uh, from predators and thieves. And sheep need a shepherd not just because it's difficult not just because it's unlikely that they would survive in the wild, they simply cannot. It is impossible. So David would understand, sheep are not caught, they're bought. They are purchased. And being a student of Old Testament, of Torah, of the law, David understood that God himself described Israel as being bought by him. Because they were redeemed out of the land of Egypt and You have to remember the powers and the wonders that God displayed in Egypt before Pharaoh. And and, and not that it taxed God, like it would tax tax me to do some some uh, weighty thing. But it, it didn't tax God. But think about the power and the weight of the wonder and authority that God had to bring to bear, the power that God had to display to Pharaoh and to Egypt before he would release Israel. Miracle after miracle after miracle, show of strength after show of strength after show of strength. How many gods of the land did, did Yahweh have to show himself to be superior over before Pharaoh finally relented? And what was the straw? What was the final price to pay before Pharaoh said okay? The blood of his of the firstborn. That was the cost that it took God to purchase and redeem his people out of bondage and out of slavery, and that was indeed a heavy toll. But our redemption, my purchase, your purchase came at the cost of one far far more costly than the son of Pharaoh. Because our redemption was purchased by the laying down of God's own son. 
David realized that his own people, that the Jews, that Israel were purchased by God, but also he himself was utterly dependent on God in the same way that a sheep was dependent upon his shepherd. So what does he say? Because Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because I am his, because he watches over me, because he knows me, because he is acquainted with me, there is no need that, that he cannot provide. There is no fear that he cannot comfort. There is no pain he cannot soothe. There is no enfeeblement that he cannot strengthen. Whatever it is that may cause you concern or worry, or fear, you need not let it weigh upon your heart when the Lord God, the, the creator of heaven, the creator of earth, is near you so that he may shepherd you. Beloved, can you say along with David? Can you say that along with David? Can you say that the Lord God is your shepherd? Are you in his flock? Has he purchased you in Christ Jesus? Do you belong to him? And by his tender mercies, has he made himself to belong to you? The shepherd purchases his flock. And then we see in verses 2 and 3 that the shepherd provides for his flock. And there are several metaphors of a shepherd's care and a shepherd's responsibilities for his sheep that we see. And these are things that David would be very well acquainted with. And he uses these multiple illustrations to drive home this one simple fact. The Lord God provides for you. Your Lord, the Lord your God provides for you. He purchased The one who purchased you with a great and costly price, the blood of his own son, that same God will not soon abandon you or neglect you now that you have been bought and now that you have been made his, now that you have been brought into his fold. The Lord provides for you. And to, the first metaphor he, he uses is that of green pastures. David says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And these pastures can can speak of habitations or dwellings of, of grass. And especially, uh, it, 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 it's emphasized because it's not just pastures. David says green pastures. And so this, this image is of lush and tranquil and abundantly green, abundantly fertile uh, grassy meadows where a flock can, can find food. And there's so much grass. There's so much nice, lush grass that after they've freely eaten, there's still enough to, to form a bed of sorts for them to lie down and rest on. There's such a large quantity of grass left over that there's tender grass for the sheep to even sleep on. And this, the flock is lying down fully content, fully enjoying their rest, their break of all worries of whatever it is that, busy, that sheep are busy worrying about which actually is a lot of things. They're, they're quite foolish. 
all their wants having been supplied and a lot of effort has been exerted to make this provision enjoyed because the shepherd has gone out beforehand and he's sought this place and he's made sure that there are no dangers, that there's no poisonous uh, uh, herbs or plants hidden among the green grass. Only the best for this shepherd's flock. Philip Keller himself a former shepherd and now a, a lay pastor, remarks that sheep won't start, simply start feeding once they've been brought to green pastures. The thing is they have to be free of all fear. They have to be free of all fear, and, and they must be free of all friction from other sheep. They don't like being wedged in right next to each other. And they must not be afflicted with any kind of a, a, a parasite or fly, or, or they can't be injured. They have to be utterly relaxed when they eat. There's like a heart playing in the background whenever their wants are supplied and they are quite content to enjoy their abundance. And this is an abundance that the shepherd has spent large amounts of energy and time to go out and procure, to to locate and find and make sure that it's the good stuff. And then after he's led them to this pasture, David says, he makes me to lie down. And sometimes sheep have to be reminded that they're tired that they're in need of rest. And so the shepherds might have to come and have to actually push them down into a resting position. And those of you with with young children know sometimes young children don't know that they're tired, but they have to be convinced that they're tired. So I'm sure you can relate to this. I remember in kindergarten being forced to take a nap time. And and what I wouldn't do now to be, you know, for my boss to come over, Aaron, you look a little tired. Go take a half-hour nap. It's not going to happen. Being made to stop, being made to rest. And this is a gentle reminder, not only that the shepherd knows what the sheep needs, but he brings about getting he brings about giving them what they need. And even if it means exerting his own energy, even if it means them fighting back, he causes them to lie down. And the next metaphor, he leads me beside the still waters. The lush green pastures is one side of the coin. Sheep also need to safely drink. Still waters are much safer for sheep to drink because even the sound of rushing water, even the sound of a running stream can frighten them. And should they be frightened, they could potentially fall or or tip over into the water. And as their wool absorbs all that water, they then became a weight and they can drown in, a, in an amazingly shallow stream of water. They're, 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 they're quite horrible creatures in that regards. And they, because sheep don't swim, and they have a lot of trouble riding themselves up. They sink and they drown. And so finding a nice, tranquil, uh, peaceful, still water, pure water, free of, free of parasites, free of filth, is what the sheep need, and this shepherd provides that for them. Both the the lush green pastures and the still waters, they are the perfect provision for the sheep. It gives them exactly what they need. No outside noises, no predators, no ravines, no deep bodies of water to fall into. Just nice, cool, shallow, unfrightening, unintimidating water. And here the sheep can stand safely over the stream and they can drink 
to their heart's content. And the lush, soft, green grass where they can eat to their heart's content and they can eat and eat and then lay down or be made to lay down and get nice, restful sleep. And when you have a shepherd like that, being a sheep doesn't sound that bad, does it? And then David says, he restores my soul. Oh, this is good. Now, to restore a sheep can mean several things depending on the situation. But the general idea is that there's some circumstance that has befallen the sheep and the shepherd comes along and he makes things right so that the sheep is restored. And uh, the problem that needs restoring could be something with the sheep's wool because after all, sheep can't clean themselves. Has anyone ever seen a sheep lick itself like a cat or a dog? Not going to happen. Yeah, not going to happen. And what's interesting is I found out that Velcro, the idea, the concept of Velcro was actually invented by a shepherd who observed that sheep's wool has this amazing capacity to attract and grab anything and everything. And that's a very rich shepherd nowadays. But uh, the number of things that can get collected in sheep's wool is amazing. And so the wool needs to be groomed regularly. It needs to be cleaned out. Uh, to restore the sheep could also refer to a cast sheep, which means a sheep that's fallen over and it can't get back up, kind of like the proverbial turtle on his shell. Whatever the dilemma is, the shepherd needs to be on top of it the moment he becomes aware that restoration is necessary. And the moment he observes that it's necessary, he snaps into action. This is an attentive shepherd. This is a shepherd that cares for his flock. How much does he care about his flock? David says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, like small children, sheep are prone to wander, and they are very, very skilled in going the wrong way and being in the wrong place. They, are, they excel at that. They will often walk right... I'm talking about sheep at this point. They will walk right into the path of hazards and predators completely unaware of the dangers surrounding them. And rather than lead themselves, which they can't, the sheep need to be led. And Keller says this, If left to themselves, sheep will follow the same trails until they become ruts, and they will graze the same hills until they turn to desert wastes, and they will pollute their own ground until it is corrupt with disease and parasites. Many of the world's finest sheep ranges have been ruined beyond repair by overgrazing, poor management, and indifferent or ignorant sheep owners. A good shepherd knows that it is if the flock is to flourish and the owner's reputation is to be held in high esteem as a good manager, He says the sheep must be constantly under his meticulous control and guidance. The sheep need to be led. So you see, God is is himself vested in you because he leads you for his name's sake. He has purchased you with a price and he is not like many rulers and managers and owner of fine possessions shown themselves to be negligent and uncaring masters. He leads me for his namesake. 
in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, his name, God's reputation is on the line. His reputation is on the line if his people fall and falter into ruin. If his people fall into disarray and chaos, if if we are allowed to succumb to our own foolishness, and if we perish because of our helplessness, it's God's name that suffers. So he not only looks after you because he cares for you and because he loves you, but because his own reputation is on the line. That's how much he he is vested in you. So first, David has shown us that our great God shepherd has first made us his own by means of a great and costly purchase. And then second, since we have become his flock, you and I are thoroughly provided for. The things that we need, not the things that we want, but the things that we need are provided for. Third, we see in verses 4 to 5 that the shepherd protects his flock. He purchases his flock, he provides for his flock, and he protects his flock. Verse 4 and 5. And he begins with, Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, Keller says that during the summer months, shepherds drive their flocks up into the hill country because the, the lower plains become very hot and very dry, which I can attest to. It's horrible there. But the, they go up into the upper hill countries because what's up there? What's still up there during the summer months? Snow. And as the snow melts, there's a lot of water and there's a lot of moisture. And what does that mean? Is, what does that mean uh, it can be found on the ground? Grass, yeah. So up on the mountaintops, not only is there grass, but there's also many dangers, especially after the sun. If you've ever gone hiking on a ridge and the sun goes over, it can get dark incredibly quickly. And they're out there for for the entirety of the summer, multiple months, long treks, and they call uh, cattle uh, people call them drives, long drives, long times where the Shepherd is is alone with his sheep. It's a lot of time and a lot of opportunity for the shepherd to get to know his sheep and to develop relationships with his sheep. This is where, especially where the shepherd can learn to know each and every one of his sheep if he doesn't already. And if you notice in the psalm, before now, up until now, David has been referring to God with third person, he and him. But there's a switch here. How does David talk to God now? Or how does he refer to God? Second person. You. You are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Church, do you know that the Lord is present with you? Do you know that? Are you convicted of that? That whatever trial you're in, are you convicted in your heart and mind that the Lord God stands with you? Some of you I know are, are, have, have been in trials, if not, if not going through a trial right now, you've been in one very recently. 
Are you convicted in your heart that the Lord stands with you in your suffering? What you do with this phrase says a lot about how you view the Lord because there are many in this world who call themselves Christians who nevertheless they struggle and they walk away from the Lord because they find themselves in the valley of death's shadow and they wonder why they are there. I mean, if if God is supposed to be good, if God is good, if God is faithful and all-powerful and he's all-loving, and if he loves me, then why am I here? Have you ever thought that? I have. I've thought that. I've asked God that. I know who, people who are in the midst of it right now, and I marvel and I praise God that their trust and that their confidence in God hasn't waned and failed, but rather it has grown and it is nurtured that the source of their conflict, that the source of their sorrow, is it's, rather than it being a disease which strangles and kills it, it is a fertilizer, it is a catalyst that fans their flame up. And I praise God for that. The true believer understands that they must be brought to the valley of death's shadow because there is good pasture beyond that valley. And notice, beloved, notice that it is not this valley that you are made to lie down in. It is the, it is the valley where the green pasture is that you are made to lie down. You and I are only merely led through this valley. Oh, how God is glorified when his people are not driven away from this valley, when they understand that their lot in life is not the current suffering that they must endure, but it is the pasture beyond the valley. The life to come after they pass through this brief reprieve, and how blessed and glorified is God when we understand that God uses the circumstances of this life to make the next life all the more glorious. Isn't that what Glenn preached on last week? That the sufferings, that the short, temporary sufferings are not even worthy to be compared of the glories that will come in the life to come? Here there is no fear that need alarm you or unsettle you because the Lord's, because the shepherd's staff and his rod which are the instruments of his power and his authority they bring comfort to the sheep they terrorize the wolf but they bring comfort to the sheep of his pasture the Lord himself is perfectly equipped he is perfect, perfectly skilled to handle any circumstance nothing catches the Lord got off guard. Nothing surprises him. You and I are often surprised how things work out, but nothing surprises him. Church, know that the I am watches over you. Know that. Be convicted of that in your mind now before the hard time comes so that you're prepared for it. So you're not left wondering why you've been allowed to wander into it. 
the Lord, your God, provides for you. Know that he watches over you and know that he is mighty to save. And just as a good shepherd must be faithful and diligent to provide lush green grass so that his sheep may pasture and rest, what has he given us? He has given us the spirit-inspired scripture the very word of God that we may feast upon and be nourished by and be sustained by, especially as we come to that wonderful bread that is Christ, the bread of life, and eat of it. He is our sustenance and the life for our soul in the same way that a hoagie is for the stomach. He is the bread of life. And just as he is your food, he is your rest. Because in him, you and I rest from the works of the law. And you and I can enjoy sweet, satisfying, contented rest, knowing that we don't have to earn our peace before God. We don't have to earn our peace before God. And that peace has been given given to us as a gift by Christ. Just as a shepherd must find calm, tranquil waters so that they may safely and peacefully drink, you have the peace of God which, Scripture tells us, surpasses all understanding. And just as a shepherd must restore his sheep, God restores you from the moment that you were born again to every instance which you and I sin. And because because we have been made precious sons and daughters, he doesn't let us go, but he reproves and he corrects and he rebukes and he restores and he brings us back and have so that we may have unbroken and unmitigated and unhindered fellowship with him time and time and time again. And just as a shepherd himself must go before his flock and as he must himself lead them, Christ himself leads us through the dark valleys of death's shadow. He leads us by means of Scripture. And you know what? He's going to lead us literally when he comes back to collect us, to to lead us to heaven. David says also, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now this word table, and this is fascinating because I've never heard this before. There's a geological formation called a table. This is a uh, a table or a table land. And this is a large, flat, usually lush plateau surrounded by steep sides. And they're all, these things are also called mesas. Have you heard of that? Okay. So, uh, and what's interesting is, uh, does any, I know Jen speaks Spanish. How many of you are Spanish speakers? Okay, never mind. Okay. Well, in Spanish and, uh, and some African tongues, the word for table is mesa. And so it's thought that this is that this is where we got the word table from was was originally uh, the word for a mesa or a, a large upcropping with a, a flat area with lush greenery on top. And you can see these uh, the most famous being Cape Town, uh, but there are mesas, there are these tables, these table lands uh, all along the west coast, more predominantly in the California Badlands. But you can see them in Africa, you can see them in Spain, and you can see them in Australia. And what do they look like? They look like a table. They look, it's a, uh, it looks like a big uh, uh, flat thing with a, with a, with a uh, 
cover over it, and, and, and all the lush greenery that's been placed on top looks like it's been prepared for flocks to come and graze upon. And I think this illustration works with David's theme of the shepherd being intimately close and personally responsible for the welfare and safety of his flock as he's up there on that plateau during the summer months. He's leading his flock from pasture to pasture. He's already he's taken the time to visit this table, to visit this plateau, and he's become aware of it. He's looked, he's scanned the foliage, foliage. He's made sure that there's nothing, there's no potentially poisonous plants. He's taken the effort to remove any threat to the sheep so that they may eat unhindered, that they may have a perfect pasture. And the whole time he, they're eating, the whole time they're getting filled, what's he doing? The pastor's up there on the lookout for predators. Ever vigilant, looking for predators. Because up on the plateau, there are places where they can hide. They can hide in crags in the rocks. They can hide in the bushes. They can hide in ravines. And it wouldn't be too hard for a wolf to blend in and when the shepherd's not looking, jump out, snatch a sheep, and run back. At that point, the sheep's gone. But the, this shepherd does his duty well. And Jesus said, himself says in John 10:28, concerning those who are his sheep, he says, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's what the good shepherd says concerning you and concerning me. That encourages my soul. The shepherd, knowing that there are wolves out there, he watches. He's committed himself to standing guard. He has rod and staff in hand, posturing himself in such a manner that no wolf, no, no predator draws near for fear of being beaten and driven off in pain and agony. That's how awesome and fearful our shepherd is. These are the enemies in whose presence that table, that that table land, the plateau is set. These are the enemies in whose presence David is eating and yet has no fear of being taken, no fear of being lost to. The shepherd protects his flock. And then he says, You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Another way the shepherd protects his flock is by uh, medically protecting them during what's called fly time. There were uh, there are these things called nasal flies or nose flies, and I'll spare you many of the details. But you can you can you can guess where they what part of the sheep they harass, and if they successfully lay their eggs, uh, the, the larva will go up, and it's, it's very horrible, very horrible for the sheep. Um, the sheep can, uh, they have intense pain, intense irritation, they, uh, uh, very bad inflammation, and to try to alleviate the pain, they will, if they will bang their head against rock or tree or shrub or brush to the point where they will go blind and potentially even kill themselves. And to prevent, and that's just one of the type of parasites and things that, that are dangers for the sheep. And to prevent that, the shepherds 
will anoint the nose. They will rub the, the nose with a type of balm, with a type of oil. Uh, Keller himself he said that he used a concoction of linseed oil, sulfur, and tar. And he would smear it over the nose and over the exposed orifices and, and, and uh, the, over the exposed skin of the sheep. And should the, should the sheep begin to show any of the early symptoms of the, of the eggs, they would go away after having been anointed. Otherwise, the oil would protect the sheep from getting infested in the first place. But it was important to be on guard for such threats because even if that happened to one sheep, the whole flock would become panicky and restless and just become this disaster waiting to explode. Only the strict, committed oversight and the, and the immediate intervention on the shepherd would save the sheep. The Lord protects his sheep. And is this not what you and I experience when the Lord soothes our own irritations? We often make so much fuss, and then as soon as the irritation goes away, we look on it and we feel a little sheepish over how silly we were. How potent is the Lord's strength to soothe your irritations, to calm my soul and your soul in the moment of calamity? When was the last time a storm was raging in your heart? Do you remember when the Lord anointed you with his oil and he soothed your soul in the midst of that storm? How plentiful is his oil? His oil is so plentiful, David says, that the cup is overflowing and the shepherd doesn't seem concerned that it's spilling out into the ground. Church, the Lord your God is able and equipped and ready to soothe your souls and he has enough oil in his storehouse for you. David has recounted to us what the Lord is like using these metaphors from, from his own time as a shepherd. He, he's shown us how the Lord God has purchased us just as a shepherd purchases his sheep. He provides for us just as a shepherd must expend incredible effort to feed and to water and to restore and to guide his sheep to pasture. And he protects us with this inexhaustible, infallible care just as the good shepherd protects his flock from every form of danger. Now this last verse serves as a concluding thought which I hope you and I can share with David and that we can share with every saint. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can those be your words? Are they your words? They can be. Whatever may come in life, whether... You are treated with favor or with evil by men. Know that whatever comes your way, it is abundantly exceeded by the Lord's goodness and his faithfulness. They are greater than whatever men throw at you, than whatever life throws at you. Know that the Master's goodness and faithfulness pursues you.
Let that be a conviction in your heart today. His goodness speaks of his commitment and his favor to you, to one who has been reconciled, to one who has become his beloved child. And his faithfulness, it's my favorite word in the Hebrew, chesed. It, there's like six words that it can be translated. Covenant loyalty, covenant faithfulness, or faithfulness, or loving kindness. The fact that whatever you do cannot jeopardize the Lord's favor to you. The Lord is favorable to you because he has set his heart and mind to be favorable to you. Those things pursue the believer all the days of his or her life. And let them pursue you. There is nowhere in life that his kindness and mercy cannot find you. There is no place in life where the Lord's mercy and kindness cannot reach you. And for this, David boasts Because this is his hope, this is his strength. And he proclaims, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As long as David is driven on this earth, as long as he's in the sheep drive, he would continually find comfort and solace in the community of God's people. And when it came time for the Lord to call him home, home is where he was truly be be received That is indeed the comfort and the solace and the hope of every believer. Church, know that the being one of the good shepherd's sheep, you can never be lost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, this psalm, especially as we We'll celebrate communion in a few moments. Help us to be mindful of the fact, again, that we have been bought by Christ and for Christ, that we are his. We thank you, Lord, that you have vested yourself, that you have committed yourself to us for your name's sake. How good a shepherd you truly are. I pray that you would convince these truths in our hearts and help us to rejoice knowing that we are yours forever. Amen.